Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Your money under a Boris Johnson government. As fears of a no-deal Brexit rise, the pound and share prices of UK domestic stocks have tumbled. Some might see this as a buying opportunity, yet other investors fear there's further to fall. Termed the bojo trade by investment pundits, we ask, which side of this trade are you going to be on? More defensive investors might be tempted to scuttle off and hide. Perhaps cockroach stocks could be a better long-term bet for them. This term, coined by Artemis fund manager Simon Edelston, joins me in the studio to discuss the rising allure of defensives, plus the problems at Centrica. And finally, his Rich People's Problems column may put your back up, but James Max has put his back out. What better therapy than to rant about the cost of private medical insurance? Welcome to The Money Show, the FT's weekly podcast about personal finance and investing. I'm Claire Barrett, FT Money Editor, bringing you all of this week's money news. Those who bet against Britain are going to lose their shirts. This warning, issued by our new Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, as he crossed the threshold of Number 10 Downing Street, has not been heeded by currency traders and investors. Since he took office, the pound has fallen by around 2.5% at the time of recording, causing further pain for domestic focus stocks, not to mention British holidaymakers. Many investors are steering clear of the UK altogether at the moment, but some optimistic ones sense an opportunity building. If, and it seems a big if, a Brexit deal is struck, could the so-called bojo trade come good? Joining me to discuss on the line from Manchester is none other than Russ Mould, Investment Director at Investment Platform AJ Bell. Welcome, Russ. Thank you, Claire. Well, with the FTSE 100 index of the UK's biggest listed companies approaching record levels, some listeners could be forgiven for thinking, well, what's the problem? UK investments are in rude health. Yeah, well, I guess the issue is with the FTSE 100, they're not necessarily British companies or certainly companies that rely too much on the economy of the United Kingdom with around three quarters of their earnings coming from overseas. So really, the, the rise in the FTSE 100, a lot of it's just basic maths. As the pound goes down, that increases the value of the FTSE 100 companies' earnings that come from overseas once they're translated back to sterling, and that also makes the stocks look cheaper. So it's a little bit like going into a sweet shop, finding all the chocolate bars are 15% bigger for the same price. <laughs> I love your chocolate shop analogy, but could you take us through some of the sectors that have suffered the most since the 2016 referendum result? 
Yeah, they've generally been domestically focused, things like retail, consumer-related companies, to a degree house builders and utilities, and whereas the ones that have done better tend to be things like engineers and mining companies, which have got big dollar or big overseas exposure, or the big consumer staples companies like Unilever, again, big global companies. Now, that, it isn't a goal as, as straightforward as that. Tobacco, which is a huge dollar earner, has been a terrible performer because of regulatory pressure on smoking, and also some of the sectors that have done badly, some of it may be due to industry-specific issues, such as the rise of online shopping for retailers or, or regulation for the utilities. But mm -hmm. nevertheless, generally speaking, there's a bit of a, a, a split in the market between domestic stocks that have generally done poorly, overseas-related sectors that have generally done much better. Now, some more adventurous investors sense an opportunity, namely that the prices of such stocks could rebound if a no-deal Brexit is averted, or even if Brexit, frankly, is delayed. But they are also encouraged by tax measures that have been floated by Boris Johnson on the campaign trail. Yeah, I mean, he's talked about cutting stamp duty on properties with a value of less than £500,000. He's talked about increasing national insurance thresholds for lower earners, which I think is, is good politics and, and good economics as well, in that you're looking to... You know, if you give more money to someone who's on a lower, uh, lower income, their propensity to spend those extra pounds is much higher than if you give the money to a, somebody who's much better off. So I think that, that there is something in that. And he's also talking about you know, more money for hospitals. And generally speaking, you get the sense that he's moving away from some of the more austere policies, you would put it, that were followed by the May Hammond administration. He's not on his own in that respect. We're seeing it in America, we're seeing it in Spain, Portugal, Italy. So it's not unique, but you are seeing this move away from austerity. You are seeing a tendency to look to spend more money. And certain sectors have begun to respond. Housing stocks have actually begun to have a little bit of a run. House builders have begun to have a bit of a run. It'll be interesting to see consumer stocks start to follow. And also you do wonder some of the financial services companies who are involved in lending to those, for example, who find getting credit very difficult. Um, maybe they'll start to benefit as well because it either helps their customers with their cash flow or even repay some of the debt, some of the loans they've already taken. Well, some interesting insights there, Russ. And obviously the biggest question is how on earth they're going to pay for it all. Very, all very well to say that they want to, you know, give away, you know, tax giveaways and uh, find lots more money to, to spend. There's talk of an emergency budget the first week of October, which conveniently is when I'm due to be on holiday in Italy for a week. So um, I'm selfishly hoping that, um, that A, it won't happen then and B, the pound won't fall much further. But I'm going to bring in Simon Eagleston from Artemis, who has been listening in the studio to what you've been saying. Now, Simon, these are radical policy shifts with the promise also of infrastructure investment to lighten the shadows of a no-deal Brexit. Does that make it a good time, do you think, to be buying British stocks? Well, there are certainly uh, a number of promises being made. There's also perhaps an unprecedented level of worry, um, which has dissuaded domestic investors from taking too much risk in British stocks, but more particularly perhaps has made international investors uh, rather despair of what's going on. There's much less understanding in that community of Brexit and what it's about. And so times like this very often throw up opportunities to invest, even for global investors like me, but your choice really, to our mind, is whether you invest in the riskier end, perhaps some of the stocks which have fallen the most, or the most cautious end, which is uh, my preference to look for really good value for money in the UK and around the world, because it's not as if political problems just here. There are political problems in most parts of the world. Yes. Now, your recent column in FT Money extolled the virtues of what you term cockroach stocks. Is this the name for sectors that all of this political upheaval is about to squish? 
Quite the contrary. Uh, what we're looking for, the characteristics of a cockroach we're looking for in a company here are the, uh, the famous ability of a cockroach to survive a nuclear war. So assume the worst, try to find companies that can look after themselves. That's the key thing. So, so what do we look for in a company which we think gives it cockroach-like ability to survive periods of turbulence, periods of unprecedented trouble? Well, the first thing is the companies should have very long, very stable revenue records. Uh, so these tend to be very old companies. They may be uh, not uh, particularly in the limelight because they may not have grown very much. They're certainly, if you like, pretty much the opposite of the very fashionable Googles and Facebooks mm. and Amazons of this world, which are very young companies growing very quickly. Uh, this may be a time for very old companies that don't grow very much, but which are really incredibly in control of their own destiny. That's the key thing. Now, sometimes these companies uh, will also be identifiable by having quite high yields, but the yield on its own is not enough to identify a good cockroach, if you like. Uh, it's got to have consistent underlying cash flow per share, and that's where the, the analysis comes in, uh, that even when politicians interfere with their business, even when you get an economic slowdown, you, you want to feel that the cash flow uh, for you as a shareholder remains stable. Now, interesting point on yields there, because, of course, no investment is ever without risk. But one of the biggest fallers on the FTSE 100 this week was Centrica, the parent company of British Gas. Now, many investors prize utilities for their defensive income streams, as you were just saying. But what's happened to Centrica this week? Yes, well, unfortunately, Centrica for a number of years now has been an example of a company which whose business model of selling uh, electricity and gas to retail public um, has been criticised by both sides of Parliament. This is not one mm. side or the other. I think the Conservatives have also criticised the model. And so despite management teams, successive management teams, trying to uh, stabilise the company, they've carried on losing customers. Uh, and this has led to the, the board taking the view clearly that the the future, the long-term future cash flows of the company uh, may not be able, probably won't be able to pay that dividend. And it's worth bearing in mind the boards of companies have much greater responsibilities than to shareholders. They have to pay their staff, they have to pay their uh, interest payments, they have to pay their tax. And so just looking at the earnings isn't enough. You have to dig down and, and check that the cash left after all those liabilities is going to be able to carry on paying that dividend. And clearly they've taken the view that uh, that isn't possible and that they need to rebase the dividend, unfortunately. Yeah, a hefty cut. But you would argue that there are better cockroaches out there and would go so far as to apply to terms to Seagro, the industrial landlord, Vodafone and Diageo. Yes, yeah, so I think all of these companies, I mean, there's a time and a place for all of them, but all of those three companies, to our mind, have a lot of asset backing. It's not just that they uh, make good cash flow. They also have a lot to fall back on. Seagro, perhaps, being the best example of this. Seagro uh, was the original owner of the Slough Estate around Heathrow Airport. Famous, um, famous for the office. <laughs> and for many, many years, these were industrial sheds, and you'd hire them to put your stock in if it came off a plane. And uh, when the economic cycle was good, then then the sheds would be full. And when the economic cycle went down, the sheds would be quite empty. And so, and so they were quite cyclical. These days, all these warehouses use for e-commerce. And nobody can afford not to have a shed near Heathrow. If you're trying to launch a new iPhone or something, you need to ship it out from the factory, have it in stock on one particular weekend. You book up your space. And the warehouses themselves are full of robots. They're automated. So the value added has gone up considerably. And Seagro has 
ridden the wave of that over the last 10 years and has been very, very well managed, has expanded its skills and its uh, management techniques across Europe as well. But that's an example of a company full of asset backing as well as earnings and a well-covered dividend. Vodafone, another stock that we highlighted, I think is a rather different case and bears comparison with Centrica. For, For many years, Vodafone's regulator tried to get the price of calls down. We may remember years ago, we used to have to pay roaming charges when we went abroad. Yeah, we may have to yet. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, As you may have noticed, the roaming charges have rather gone away and and phone bills really haven't gone up. So for many years, Vodafone was under uh, pressure being seen as having very high barriers to entry and being of great consumer interest. And they ended up cutting their dividend a few months ago to a much more affordable level. And that was the time in which we decided to uh, make an investment of the company, having kept an eye on it for the previous 20 years, and <laughs> the shares done nothing but go down. Uh, but once you get to that point where the cash flows can support the dividend, and you've identified that it has lots of assets, and lo and behold, with the figures the other week, they announced that they were thinking about floating one of their assets, which is their mobile towers business. They have 67,000 mobile towers in Europe, across the whole of Europe. And these towers are increasingly valuable as you roll out five-generation mobile technology. So there'll be more kit on the towers, you get more rent. And so that sort of asset backing every now and again pops out and uh, helps the share price and the shares have performed quite well. Well, Very interesting to hear your investment methodology here. So finally, with, with Diageo, which is another stock that you like, Many of us may be tempted to turn to whiskey in times of crisis, quite frankly. Yes, well, I think, again, it ticks both boxes. Not the cheapest stock in the market, but an enormously successful, the world leader in in selling whiskey. Uh, more than half of its uh, business is in America. And it ticks the boxes in two ways. Uh, one, yes... The revenues from people drinking whiskey are fairly reliable, not very cyclical. <laughs> it could be a post-Brexit boom, um, indeed. <laughs> uh, and it's been around for, well, 100 years, certainly, probably longer than that in various forms. Uh, but on top of that, it actually has a lot of assets. It sits on huge amounts of whiskey, uh, waiting for it to age. And so unlike a lot of companies, as it sits on its inventory of whiskey, that, that whiskey gets more valuable, not less valuable. It doesn't go off, it goes up in price. And so again, you have some asset backing to go along alongside the reliability of the revenues, we think. Yeah, and on a completely side point, my, my recent sojourn in the Outer Hebrides, I found that the reason so many of the Scottish whisky makers are turning to gin is because they get a much quicker return on the cash invested because the gin just needs to, you know, slosh around in a in a, in a coffer with a few botanicals or, you know, bits of grass or seaweed, whatever they, they're going to throw in, um, and then it can be sold really quickly so they can get a fast return on the gin and, you know, keep the whisky going for yeah, 10 exactly. years or Fantastic. Well, thank you very much there to our investment gurus, Russ Mould of AJ Bell on the line from Manchester and Simon Edelston, fund manager at Artemis. As ever, when we talk about investing on the FT Money Show, the discussion is for general information only and does not constitute investment advice. For that, you'll need to see an independent financial advisor. But if you would like to read more about the tax changes that a Boris Johnson-led administration could potentially bring or Simon's column about cockroach stocks, you can find both articles online on our website, ft.com slash money. Now, investor listeners may be fearing the pain of financial loss, but our next guest is feeling the pain of a slipped disc. No matter how rich you are, he wrote in the pages of FT Money last week, no amount of money can stop chronic back pain. Well, I'm pleased to say that James Maxwell, Rich People's Problems columnist, has managed to hobble into the FT studio this morning. Welcome, James. Thank you. Thank you. So how on earth did you sustain this terrible injury? 
on a uh, a low chair at a beach hut. So here's the thing. If anybody ever sells you anything and leaves stuff in there, chances are you should probably throw it away. So, for example, the people from whom I bought the beach hut, there were some chairs in there that were these collapsible chairs, whatever. Well, we took them out for a party. I sat on one of them, and after an hour or so, sat in this chair, I could feel something, I don't know, panging and stinging and whatever, and it was just, and I thought, oh, I feel a bit, a bit stiff there, and I got up from it. And, and what I should have done is I should have thrown those chairs away and gone and bought myself some new ones that I knew would sustain my back. Because this wasn't just sort of one thing happening. It was probably a whole collection of things which had gone wrong. But the, a, a low chair can be an absolute killer when it comes to a bag. Well, you've been in recovery now for just over three weeks. Yes. Um, one of the measures that you considered in your column was hiring a valet to put on your socks of the morning. Yes, well, thankfully, I can now put on my own socks without having this rather extraordinary, I, I suppose, you know, dance with them. Because the thing is that you wake up early in the morning, which I do, so I can do my radio. You've got to keep quiet because the other half or other third, however you like to look at them, is there trying to sleep. <laughs> and you're like, oh, missed it. Oh, missed it. Oh, that hurts. So what I managed to do was to work out a strategy where you, you, you get your hand and then you get your hand in the opening of the sock and then you widen open uh, the sock and then you catch over your big toe and then you can yank it on after that. And then, you know, it, but the thing is, it takes a long time. So that meant that I was constantly late for pretty much everything. And then, you know, if you have to do any kind of shoe manoeuvring, so I was wearing slip-on shoes and, and all these sort of terrible things. Anyway, I, I'm over that stage now because I think the disc that popped out is back in. Good. What I'm now dealing with, it is good. What I'm now dealing with, though, is the secondary pain, if you like, of having to put everything else right. Because I think what people don't necessarily realise about back pain, and I'm no expert, but I'm becoming expert as a result of my experiences and asking a lot of questions, is that when your back goes out, if you, if you say, for example, if you sat awkwardly for half an hour, you might get pins and needles or something hurts, or if you play a sort of vigorous game of sport or, or go for a run or something, everything aches for a while. Imagine doing something for three weeks hmm. and everything is out of kilter. Funnily enough... Your muscles are going to be out of shape and stretch and hurt. Your joints are going to be out of straight, you know, the out of out of sorts and hurt. And everything's got to then fix itself, which is another few weeks of just doing the right things and sitting correctly and walking correctly and having the physio and all that sort of stuff. So, yes, I'm in recovery, but man alive, this is oh, this has been a marathon. Now, the financial point that you make in your columns, there, oh, is, yes, there is always one buried in there somewhere. Um, <laughs> although as fascinating as, as it is to share our experiences of back pain. Concerned private medical insurance. Now, your experience, you have cover, but actually getting them to, to pay out and agree to um, fund the physio sessions that you've been having, was you found something that was quite difficult. And many of the readers have actually said in the comments field that they completely agree and share your experience. Well, exactly. And I think, why do you have private insurance when you have the NHS? And a lot of people said you should use the NHS. It's there uh, at the point of whatever. And, and yes, it is there. But I take two views. First of all, surely if one is of means, you should try and reduce the amount that maybe one uses it unless absolutely necessary. Because if everybody used it, then it would be even under even more strain. And the second point, which I think everybody probably would agree with, is unless it's critical, then you're going to be on a waiting list and you could be on a waiting list for a very long time. So, for example, I did speak to my NHS GP and I spoke to them about the back pain and I said, look, you know, you, you might be waiting a number of weeks to go and see somebody. So if you do have private medical care, you might want to use that because it'll be quicker. So, you know, that's that's the view that I took. Anyway, 
I have a scheme that I had migrated from my previous employee where you can then go in as a private person, as a an individual. I might as well name them AXA PPP. They're fine. They charge you quite a lot of money, uh, but they're fine and they answer their phones and they do their thing. That having been said, you do have to go through quite a lot of processes. So instead of saying, I need physio because I can't walk, can you pay the physio? They say, yes, that's absolutely fine. You can have 10 sessions in a year. But by the way, you've got to have a triage call to check that you need it. So then you have some Muppet from somewhere asking you a whole (laughs) load of questions that you don't need. Anyway, we did that. Four days later, they give the sign off. And then I was able to go to... But it took me a, a number of attempts to say, the guy who I want to see is on your list. Because I've seen him before. But they couldn't find him, whatever. So that took a while. The second point is that the guy who I've seen has been doing this for 35 years. In my view, I don't know anybody else's. We've all got a back specialist, as it would appear by the comments. You know, he's one of the best in the country. He said, I'd like you to go and have an MRI scan just to check that what we're doing is the right thing to do and there are no knock-on effects because this has taken far longer to fix than it should do because there are obviously other complications. Mm. He said, however... Your insurance company will tell you that you now have to be referred to a back specialist. Forget the fact I've been doing this for 35 years and I know what I'm doing. It will refer you to a specialist. It will cost however many hundreds of pounds to do it, blah, blah, blah. And you'd still come back to me and then go off for the scan. That's exactly what's happened. I'm now in day three or four of waiting, having had the most annoying call in my whole life with some cretin <laughs> from somewhere asking me stupid questions about what this feel, and that and the other. Well, I do. This is, but this is the point. But here, the financial point here, rather than my ranting, is, of course, you've got to have checks and balances. But on the other hand, quite a lot of people have said, I don't know why you bother with insurance, because if you're going to pay £2,500 a year, that's £10,000 over 10 years. How much have you spent? I've been very lucky that in the past few years, I've probably spent four, five, six thousand pounds on, and I might be quids in if I hadn't paid for it. Then there's that sleeping at night thing. If Mm. something goes horribly wrong, do you want to have that care and that service there? You probably do and have somebody at the end of the line. So, look, they're doing their job. I I just think that they could probably save some money. We could save some time if they just didn't have quite so many processes to go through. But it has been very interesting in terms of the response because normally I'll get a barrage of abuse. uh, You do quite enjoy the abuse, though. Oh, I love it. I really do enjoy it. But this time, amongst that, I mean, there are some people who say, why is this a rich people's problem? It's a rich people's problem because everybody gets back pain. It's a question of how do you deal with it and what can you do? And also there are some things that no matter how much money you have, you can't avoid death, you can't avoid tax, and you can't avoid, you know, things like back pain. The question is, how do you navigate? So there's that. But also I've received some lovely emails and uh, messages, and this time particularly emails, which I find, you know, some absolutely joyous stories and some uh, which have been, you know, entertaining, if if nonetheless. So this one from Peter, I think is particularly interesting. So Peter says, I won't read the whole thing, but he says, your recent uh, article in the FT aroused my sympathy. My own back problems were caused over many years by too much diving and sitting at meetings and driving, not diving. I can tell you something for sure. Don't believe anyone who says that they have the one who can give you rapid relief. It's a long and probably lifelong process. First get the disc manipulated, then back into place, have the operation, etc, etc, etc. But then he goes on to say right at the end, I should tell you that I'm aged just 82 
and thanks to the programme, have become fitter, slimmer, and can rotate my spine and touch my toes with the very best of them. Well, Peter, all I can say is that I can't touch my toes, and that's probably because I'm being told I need to go on a diet. So, you know, but I've received a whole range of emails and lovely correspondence from people who have been in touch, either sympathising, providing some advice, saying, you know, similar things, which is once you have a back problem, it's kind of something that you've got to live with and work with. And the best advice, I think, is simply to go and speak to people. Don't stick your head in the sand when they talk about the other things, because back is about posture. It's about how you live your life. It's about getting enough sleep. It's about um, diet. Well, not sitting is something that people consistently bring up. Different car seats were also discussed at length in the column. Quite a few people told me that maybe it's time that the midlife crisis Aston should go, that the seats are rather, you know, low slung. But I would say, no, I've got to go to Croatia later in the year to see whether the Aston can make it round and back again. Because, you know, who knows, there might be a whole other column in, oh, I trusted my Aston again, and it might come back on a low loader or put my back out, you know, somewhere in far-flung continent before we get flung out of Europe. How would it look with a beaded seat cover? <laughs> That's uh, James Max is speechless. Uh, <laughs> I, I, there are so many things in this planet that should be banned, including I mean I mentioned the bath with the you know with the doors in. Beaded seat covers, they should be banned. They... Well, I, I quite like the sock slider. <laughs> I was very tempted to buy you one on Amazon. Oh, I think you should. I, what a marvellous thing to have, because then, then I wouldn't need to go on a diet. But there's a lot of toot out there for people with backs. I think the other thing is, just finally, the best advice is just avoid the old wives' tales because they're probably not correct in terms of what you should be doing. And and all the things that people tell you about, you know, whether it's posture and uh, getting good advice and physio. And I might have to take up Pilates. Well... James Max, I'm just going to read out one final comment, which was the most liked by our readers on your column. Um, it's from a chap called The Informer. He says, thanks, James. I suffer from insomnia. You've cured it. <laughs> oh, I see. Back to the rudeness, eh? <laughs> well, we had to get one rude one in, didn't we? Well, thanks very much there to James Max, our Rich People's Problems columnist and presenter of the Talk Radio Early Breakfast Show. You can read James's latest Rich People's Problem, Help, I've Put My Back Out, online now at ft.com slash money. And if you have a problem for James, you can email him direct, as Peter did. His address is richpeoplesproblems at ft.com. And to James's consternation, there is no apostrophe in that address. That's it for The Money Show this week. If you want to get in touch with me, Claire Barrett, or our team of writers, or even suggest a topic you'd like to hear us talk about on the next podcast, email us, money at ft.com. To stay up to date with the latest money news, you can follow us on Twitter, at FTMoney, or check out our new LinkedIn page. Search for Financial Times, your money. We will be back next week at the usual time. Goodbye. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.